Hoy hoy once again, mi amigos. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. Thank you so much for joining me once again, and allow me to give you a personal story from the last month or so of my life that I think will set the table quite nicely for today's topic about healthcare, hospitals, and supply and demand. So I was down in St. Pete Beach recently, the Tampa Bay area of Florida, hanging out with my friends and family on a quick vacation down in St. Pete, a little beach vacation. Well, one night, actually the first night we were there, in fact, we were about to get some dinner about 9.30 at night, and as I like to do on vacation, I was having a little beer. Yes, a Bud Light, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because Well, about two sips into my Bud Light, hadn't even ordered any food yet, my father-in-law comes quite literally staggering into the restaurant with a trail of blood behind him. And I'm looking at him and we're realizing, oh my God, he's, he's holding, he's got all these napkins that he grabbed from the bar and he's got them up to his right forearm and he's just bleeding like a stuck pig. I mean, blood has literally followed him from the outside of the restaurant as if it's Hansel and Gretel's trail, except blood instead of whatever they were dropping behind them. I can't remember anymore. I'm not much of a children's literature guy. So basically, Cliff, my father-in-law, was out smoking. He'd had a few to drink. He wasn't, you know, blackout drunk or anything. But hey, we're on we're on vacation. We're on a little bit of sleep. We're a little buzzed. And Cliff, unfortunately, tripped and fell, and his arm basically went into a spike or a piece of rebar, something. I don't know. That, that restaurant should probably get that little danger hazard, that health hazard taken care of. But regardless, it was an accident. It happened. And so myself, my wife, my sister-in-law, our friends, we jump into our Dodge Caravan, our rented Dodge Caravan, And fly down the hospital. Everybody in the restaurant told us, Tampa General, that's where you need to go. You need to go to Tampa General Hospital. Now, keep in mind, we're in St. Pete at this point. So, Tampa General's a pretty good drive. Probably takes us a good 20 minutes to get there, I would say, to get my father-in-law. Again, he's bleeding like a stuck pig. Takes us 20 minutes to get him to the emergency room. To the point where I had to remove my belt and put a tourniquet around his arm. Like that's how much he was bleeding. That's how concerned we were about the guy. Now, long story short, I'll just tell you the cliff is fine. He's totally fine. It was just a fairly deep cut. He got some stitches. He's no worse for wear in the long run, but ultimately what ended up being a fairly dramatic, but Ultimately, again, at the end, yeah, it was a dramatic night. It was a dramatic trip. But at the end of the day, ah, he was fine. Not that big of a deal. Maybe we overreacted a little bit. But when you see your old man bleeding all over the place, you tend to want to get that under control, especially when he's a little bit drunk and kind of coming in and out of consciousness when you're driving him to the hospital, right? Okay, well, again, the whole point of me telling you this conversation is not that it turned out okay, which obviously we're glad that it did, but... It's just how long that it took. See, we again, we got there maybe 10 o'clock, something like that. The last of us didn't actually leave the emergency room until about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, that's just, that's an interminably long period of time. 
to spend in the hospital, period. Much less when you've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning and it's your first day of vacation. That's a brutal way to spend the end of your first day of vacation. I think we can all agree with that. And the deal was this. Clifford did get he got the blood stopped. He got stitched up fairly quickly. But then once that happened, he kind of got pushed to the back of the queue a lot. As you can imagine, Tampa's a major city. They're going to have a decent amount of emergency cases coming in. So obviously, when there's a lack of doctors, there's a lack of nurses, a lack of people to take care of patients that are coming through in emergency situations, then they're going to prioritize people. So obviously, if I have a gunshot buried in my skull, then obviously I'm going to take priority over my father-in-law who, while he had a pretty gnarly cut on him, eh, we got it cleaned up, we got it stopped. Sure, he's got some more tests we want to run on him, but he's got to get pushed to the back of the end. And sorry, you all are just going to have to wait for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. So what's the problem here? Where are all of the nurses and doctors and surgeons and techs and all the other people that are necessary for running a hospital? Why are there so few of them in this major hospital called Tampa General? What could possibly be the deal here? This is the closest hospital, major hospital, that we could find in this major area that was still a good, a good drive from where we were. So what's going on here? Why does it seem like there's a lack of supply in the medical industry? Well, I'm going to spoil it for you. And if you've listened to my show for a while, this is going to totally blow your socks off. You're not going to believe what I'm about to say. It's the government's fault. Oh, wait, you totally do believe me saying that? Oh, sorry. Well, if that particular conclusion isn't terribly surprising, well, you know what? The devil's in the details, and I think some of the details just might surprise you a little bit. See, if you want to use the old both sides argument in a political sense, well, indeed, there is plenty of blame to go around on both sides. You see, the Republicans traditionally, they've been all about the legal monopolization of the healthcare industry. Whereas the Democrats have traditionally been about the nationalization of the healthcare industry. Now, what's the difference there? Well, let me give you a few examples. Now, during the Republican administration of William Taft, for instance, this was around 1910, that administration gave the American Medical Association huge powers in the license business. It gave them the power to allow the state AMA offices to oversee the closure or merger of nearly half the medical schools in all of the United States and allowed them to reduce their class sizes as well. Essentially, they were saying, the AMA was saying, hey, we know better than these medical schools themselves. Then around 1925, you had Calvin Coolidge, another Republican. Well, that was when the federal government started allowing the patenting of prescription drugs. So that's sort of the monopolization side of it. Then there's the nationalization side. Again, typically, but not always, done by the Democrats. Well, in 1965, that's when the nationalization of healthcare really began in earnest. And if you look at any chart of healthcare prices, this is when healthcare started, its prices started going two times inflation for the last 50-some-odd years. It's not an accident. 
essentially all of these things, whether it was monopolization or nationalization, had the effect of increasing demand for health coverage while also decreasing and restricting the supply of doctors and hospitals. And we see this phenomenon today. And I saw it quite clearly at Tampa General just about a month ago. Now, you might be asking, what do I mean by increasing demand for health coverage? Well, essentially, when you're paying, when there's a third party that is paying for medical procedures, particularly ones that are subsidized by the government, that are encouraged by the government legally and other ways, that means that you're going to get a lot more pointless and expensive tests that are paid for by either your insurance provider or the government or possibly some combination of both. And as an example of this, one of the reasons we kept hanging around at the hospital for a long time is that they wanted to do a they wanted to hold Clifford overnight at first. They they were saying, "Oh, we don't know if he's had a concussion." Sorry, I, I'm blanking on what kind of test that's called. But essentially, they were worried that oh, he might have fallen and hit his head, and we, we just want to keep him overnight for observation, make sure he didn't have any kind of head injury or anything like that. Well, to us, it was quite obvious that he'd never hit his head. They kept asking him all the questions. You know, he was kind of half asleep at times, but then they'd wake him up, maybe going, "Sir, what's your name?" Where are you? What's your date of birth? All this stuff. And he would correctly answer it every single time. There was no indication that he hit his head whatsoever. They were just, to me, they were covering their butts. Again, speaking of increased costs, there's also a huge risk of lawsuit that is now in this country. That's another thing that has increased the costs, which causes, again, what I've called many times a crowding out effect, whereas it crowds out, again, Regulations, overly burdensome regulations and laws, will cause new businesses to be crowded out. It will, it will cause the old, established, bigger businesses, the ones that have already been in place, it causes them to be strengthened. And by strengthened, I mean from their position, not necessarily from the position of the consumer, and in fact, almost certainly not from the position of the consumer. See, these big businesses, sure, it's great for them to have a monopoly, uh, what, what amounts to essentially a legal monopoly that is given to them by the government. Sure, that's great for business. It's obviously on its face terrible for consumers, though. I think we can all agree with that. So what else contributes to this crowding out effect? Well, again, not only just things that are specific to the medical industry themselves, but things that we see in all types of all other aspects of our society in which there's crowding out, like the increased cost of college. Yeah, not just in the medical business, but certainly, especially in the medical field, I would say, because yes, if you're in medicine, you have to go to school a lot longer than most folks, don't you? I would say that crowds people out. I would say that crowds out our young, aspiring young doctors who are saying, gee, this is getting more expensive to get there and less lucrative to actually, when I get there, it's less lucrative when I'm there. So yeah, that's going to crowd out a lot of potential doctors that would have already been there. I already pointed out the risk of, of lawsuit. I've pointed out in other places, there's an increased cost of hiring and firing people. See, in a world where you're not just simply allowed to fire people for whatever reason you want, then you're also 
somewhat discouraged from hiring people as quickly as well because every hire then is has an artificial risk that is placed on these regulations these right to fire whatever you want to call it what am i trying to say it's yeah for cause that's it the idea that you have to prove to the government cause to fire somebody that discourages people from hiring people in the first place you have to be a lot more careful about it and then finally just in general the regulatory bureaucratic burden particularly of just dealing with health insurance the amount of health insurance regulation and red tape that must be complied with in order to run your basic hospital or medical practice is beyond burdensome at this point it's become such a huge chunk of everybody's medical business, of everybody's medical expenses that it's almost hard to imagine. It really is. I mean, essentially hospitals, medical providers, they've become part-time bureaucratic nightmares. That's what they do a lot of their days. Look at how much of your doctor, go to a doctor's office and just ask them what percentage of their staff is just dealing with clerical things, with red tape. I think you'll be stunned at what a percentage that is. Frankly, from my experience, and my wife works at Boone Hospital here in Columbia, Missouri, it seems like there's less of a problem with the crowding out. And I can't quite put my finger on why exactly. I'm sure it has something to do with just the amount of, I guess, subsidized money that comes into this town via the university, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe it's just the right size. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't thought through that part well enough as to why a town the size of Columbia seems to have less of that problem. But it's but at the other ends, the other extremes, it seems like your larger cities, again, like Tampa General, and then your smaller locations, the ones in rural Missouri, for instance, the places that are a long way from a Columbia or a Springfield, a, a Jeff City, St. Louis, Kansas City, certainly. If you're an hour or more from those places, the odds are that you're seeing ambulance dispatches, clinics, all sorts of things are shutting down around you. And clearly that's lowering your potential for life. That could be a life-changing amount. Like, For instance, if before you had an ambulance dispatch that was 10 minutes from your house, now all of a sudden it's 45 minutes from your house, that could be the difference in life and death, right? I think we all can recognize that in various different medical circumstances. Ultimately, my point is there's so much control in the medical business, particularly when you talk about prices. You have to let prices rise if they need to rise, just like you need to let prices drop when they need to drop. But politically, there's just as many people who are worried about raising, rising prices as there are about falling prices. And it's my contention, and it's quite obvious that you have to let nature take its course. If because there's a lack of nurses, again, and doctors, surgeons, techs, then you have to let the market, those prices rise. Then if there's a shortage of anything, the price should go up, right? There's a shortage of any product, the price should go up. And when I say product, I mean labor too. If there's a shortage of doctors, there's a shortage of nurses, then those people should start making more money. The new people, new doctors, new nurses, they should be getting tons of money to get started. And by tons, I just mean more than what they would traditionally get. 
Because that people respond to price incentives, to price increases. There's no doubt about that. So my whole point here is to say the medical industry for at least 100 years now, at least 100 years, but especially starting in 1965 with the beginning of Medicaid and Medicare, we have no price mechanism in the medical field. And that's resulted in nothing but shortages. It really has. And at times... Times we have an abundance too, but mostly it's shortages. And frankly, an abundance in one area is just as bad as a shortage. When you have shortages all over the place, an abundance in one concentrated area is really bad too because you have your supplies aren't properly distributed. But again, what, what distributes supplies the best? It's the market. There's no question about that. The government has no means for distributing anything because they destroy the price mechanism. The price mechanism is the information that we need to decide what goods are needed most, when, and where. Does that make sense? In other words, if if everybody needs a, say there's a a, a giant flood, anything, and and D batteries or AA batteries, whatever it might need, we really, really need a bunch of AA batteries, A lot of people's instinct is to cap prices, but that's the wrong instinct. You need to let them rise so then that will signal to people, oh, people need AA batteries. And then suddenly you will find people with AA batteries coming to you, willing to sell them. And then eventually there will be so many of them coming to sell them to you that the price will then come down. You ever tried to get an Uber late at night and then you get the surge pricing? Well, what happens if you wait out the surge pricing? Eventually, the surge pricing goes down because the people that needed to leave at that moment, they're the ones who are willing to pay. They're signaling that they're willing to pay the six times what it usually is. But if I'm not willing to pay that, I'm also signaling that by not getting an Uber. So then, therefore, all these people, these new Uber drivers who have been drawn in by the surge rate, the six times the normal rate, Suddenly, drivers will come to that area where there is the surge rate. And then when that rate goes down, and maybe there surges somewhere else, guess what? Those drivers will then, that supply and demand will even out, and then it will go to the place where they're really needed. Again, to the surge rate. So this idea that we, we have to cap prices, either a floor or a ceiling, either one, is dumb. And, and totally counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive and it's counter-effective. It really is. To some people, it's counterintuitive, but it's obviously counterproductive. That's, that's the thing. In order for us to have a proper amount of doctors, nurses, techs, all that stuff, I'm telling you, we just have to get back to the price mechanism. We have to get back to the market, and we have to get the government out of this. Because this is about people's lives. Thankfully, my father-in-law was okay, right? He was all right. I'm just saying... And again, I'm not picking on people at Tampa General. We had a lot of good people who helped us out down there. The people who are working there are working their butts off. And frankly, they're overworked. I know they are. I know hospital people are overworked. There's no doubt in my mind. And that's another problem, isn't it? It's another problem of the crowding out effect and having shortages of staff. So again, a little more freedom in the hospital. And we'll be free to live better, happier, healthier, and more effective lives. 
So with that, until next time, I am going to get on out of here. Thank you once again for joining me on Everybody Trades. I'm John Miller. See you all next time.